This is the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Just leave me to do my dark bidding on the internet. I'm bidding on a table. exactly how this is going to go down <laughs> summers knows exactly what i'm talking about oh, and liz has no clue i don't i don't have any oh idea. really i have but i feel like that's a clue if you think summers is going to know it and i'm not going to <laughs> oh i thought maybe i picked a good My one then. dark bidding on the internet hmm. here i'll give you the problem with my movie choice is that i could just quote you the whole movie because <laughs> okay it's well give so me good. another quote then <laughs> here's another one we're vampires we don't put down towels Oh, is it from the What We Do in the Shadows movie? It is. <laughs> Yay. I haven't watched it yet. So. I know. That's why, that's why I, I figured uh, some words would probably know no. and you wouldn't. But that movie is so wonderful because there are, we're talking about the movie, not the show, even though the show is great. But like, there are so many like little, um, almost like they bury the lead on all of the jokes and everything. And like, yeah, so uh-huh. you can just, like, there's one thing that's just a visual thing where it's like, Jemaine turning into animals and then it just has his face on a cat for like one second and it's delightful who says that in the movie which one the first one yeah is well both both those quotes were from Vladislav okay yeah. I don't know who, which one is that Jemaine yes okay cool I gotta watch it it's I really enjoy so the show good. yeah yeah I, I know it's different but <laughs> I think the show is a great balance of like the same and different and I love Matt Berry. Like, did you know that he's a musician too? That's Lazo. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I got heavily into his music oh, for yeah? a while. He does this like it's like witchy prog rock stuff. Oh my gosh! That sa- like he said, he wanted you to feel like you're listening to it in like a haunted forest or something. Oh, fun! <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a good balance of like the concept of the show, but them being two different things mm-hmm. that you can like, even if you really liked the movie. Cool. My brother sent me, I be- I think it was uh, like a 10 minute rock opera that Matt Berry did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, is, was it like ACBC or something like Yeah, I, now I forget what the, yeah, I forgot what it was about, but it was real weird. It was weird and incredible. <laughs> but he has the album that I got really into was called Kill the Wolf. Huh. I really like it. Cool. Enjoyable. Yeah. Fun quote, Jen. Yes. Yeah, nice job. <laughs> it was really hard to pick one because, like I said, God, the, f- the whole, whole freaking movie is so quotable. <laughs> totally. I could watch it a hundred more times, I think. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. I always just think of, we're werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> what are we? So werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> oh. And it also fed my uh, Taika and Reese bucket while I wait for season two of Our Flag Means Death. Nice. (laughs) Okay. So this is The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. I'm Summers. I'm Liz. And I'm Jen. And today, Liz is going to tell us about the Santa Barbara B-24 disasters. Yes, that's correct. And I'm so excited that nobody's ever heard of this because it's just wild. So this is one of the largest plane wrecks in the history of Santa Barbara County. And so um, I wanted to start with my sources so that I don't forget again, because I 
have a tendency to do that. Me too. <laughs> Even though we put them on the website, ghoulsguidetosv.com. Nice. Uh, I do want to share them here. Um, so my sources today are from Wikipedia, the Lockheed Martin website, airplanesonline.com. <laughs> oh, that's such like a, a thing a four-year-old boy would like and also that I would like. <laughs> um, an article by Barney Brantingham in the SB Independent. Oh, nice. But the, the big source came from a book called The Santa Barbara B-24 Disasters, A Chain of Tragedies Across Air, Land, and Sea, written by Robert A. Burtness. He is a local retired English and literature teacher. He taught at San Marcos High School. Oh, cool. I don't know when he retired, um, but the book was published in 2012. Nice. Nice. Highly recommend. I like that you're going like, like Jen and I are very much the internet real quick, like, well, I am the Wikipedia person and like little articles and stuff. And you're like checking out a book from the library. Yeah, no, I bought this one. Oh, nice. (laughs) On on Amazon cool uh, for the Kindle. It's, um, it's, it's short. It's very readable. So, but super good. So anyway, um, so today's story, um, of course, is all about the B-24 bomber. Um, It was designed by Consolidated Aircraft in San Diego. And uh, like late 30s, it was developed and it was considered modern and efficient at the time. It had a high cruising speed. It had uh, it could travel long ranges and it could carry 8000 pounds of ordnance in each of two central bomb bays. And I thought ordnance just meant bombs, but Uh but I looked it up and it can mean any expendable weaponry used by military aircraft. So like bombs, missiles, rockets, gun ammunition. So. Thank you for that definition. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely had to look up a few things. <laughs> it's not just a, like, you can't dump your stuff into the creek. No, kind of it's not an ordinance. It's an ordinance. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, so about 18,500 B-24s were produced during the five-year period from 1940 to 1945. And there was such a demand that several manufacturers were building them. And Ford Motor Company even built a manufacturing plant in Michigan specifically to produce B-24s. Okay. And they made about 8,500 of them. And at their peak, they were producing one per hour on what? their assembly line. Jeez. That's so many. Isn't that? Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. And then here we have some financial info for you. Okay. The cost to manufacture a B-24 was over $305,000. What does that mean? And so the average price of a new home in 1942 was like $3,800. Oh, that makes me so mad. Yeah. And so online calculator, $3,800. So like the price of a home in 1942 Uh is worth about 83,000 today. So now let's also get mad about the cost of housing. Oh (laughs) my God. That's what I was mad about. (laughs) But now let's get get mad about military spending. Yes. (laughs) That 305,000 price tag in today's dollars is almost $6.7 million. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. So. So wait, when they were cranking out one an hour, yeah. um, was that pre-war or during the war? During the war. So okay. shout out to those lady riveters, right? Yes. Because yeah. we know who was working in the in the airplane factories at that yeah. time. Yes. So true. We heard about those in our previous episode <laughs> on World War Two. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And uh, during that time, my grandmother worked as a riveter <gasps> while my grandpa was in the air force fighting oh, in so world war ii super cool that's really cool okay so by 1941 b-24s were being shipped to the uk where they were given the name liberators and uh, they were also adapted for uses like coastal patrols anti-submarine patrols protecting cargo ship convoys um unarmed long-range cargo carriers and even carried electronic jamming equipment to combat german radar systems 
And of course, they were used as bombers, clearly. Can I just say? Yeah. That reminds me of Spaceballs with the jamming the radar. Yes. It's just like <laughs> jelly. Yes. <laughs> Classic. It's not a great banter uh, joke, but. No, but that's, that's what I thought of. A good reference. Thank you. <laughs> I love that movie. Me too. Um, so <laughs> in the U.S., um, at the peak of the use of the B-24s in September 1944, the U.S. Army Air Force, I guess they were combined at the time, had 6,043 B-24 Liberators operating worldwide. Holds the record as the world's most produced bomber, heavy bomber, multi-engine aircraft, and American military aircraft in history. Do you think they had like award ceremonies where they're (laughs) (laughs) top bomber? That's not funny. You get the... Yeah. Yeah. So for reference, the war in the U.S. was 19... I want to say end of 41. Like when we were involved. To 45. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so B-24s flew more missions and dropped more bombs than any other World War II aircraft. Did you have a comment? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay. So before the B-24, I'm sorry, this is like a lot about this airplane, but it's going to be relevant later. <laughs> no, I'm into it. Okay. So before the B-24 like came along, um, the B-17 was like the popular military aircraft. And it was also known as the Flying Fortress. It could fly on two of four engines if it was having trouble like it could you know two engines could go out and it would be okay um it could also successfully ditch which means complete an emergency landing on water okay (laughs) or crash land on its belly a new word yeah (laughs) or crash land on its belly on the ground but the b-24s were prone to breaking apart when they attempted crash landings on water or land so like that's (laughs) not good and then also if the b-24 lost two of its four engines that was an emergency situation okay in that particular aircraft um so the b-24 was also difficult to fly uh it didn't perform as well when flying at lower speeds especially when it was um loaded with a lot of weight okay also reportedly leaked fuel, so crews flew with the bomb bay doors open to clear out the fumes. Like, those are the God. the doors yeah. on the belly of the uh-huh. plane that open up. Um, and so one pilot who flew 43 missions in B-24s said that the ones built at the Ford plant were not as good as those built elsewhere. <laughs> so <Okay>. that's not good. <laughs> uh, one other thing, or well, a couple other things. So there were different variants. I won't get into like the different variants, but sometimes the planes were like modified for specific uses. Okay. And so some of them, uh, crews complained about leaking fuel tanks and fire danger. Sometimes it would lose electrical power in the cockpit on takeoff or at landing. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Vulnerable to icy conditions and could fall into a spin when like a small amount of ice accumulated on the wings. Oh, no. Yeah. Small amount. Yeah. And then above those bomb bays, there was a nine inch wide catwalk. And if they hit turbulence and a crew member fell off of it, (gasps) the bomb bay doors were made of corrugated aluminum and couldn't hold the weight of a man. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. So they would just fall? Yes. You just accidentally bomb a human? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's horrifying. Yes. Oh, so the consolidated B-24 Liberator was sometimes called the flying brick. (laughs) Flying death trap. (laughs) Boxcar. Coffin and even constipated lumberer. Oh, oh, amazing. Yeah. I like that. Somebody put a lot of time coming up with that. Yeah. Dig. I'm pleased with them. Yeah. So how does this all tie into Santa Barbara? Now we get to our story. I bet there was some foreshadowing there and how badly it works. This is true. Okay. <laughs> so um, the U.S. Army Air Force's 34th Bombardment Group was based at Army Airfield in Blythe, California. 
But on June 1st, 1943, they had traveled to the Salinas Army Air Base for a temporary assignment to escape the heat for a couple months. So in Blythe, it was so hot that like the tarmac was melting up around the wheels of the planes. It could get up to 160 degrees inside the planes. There was no air conditioning in the barracks, so they were just miserable. Oh. So okay. they're going to head to Salinas for a couple months. To- so, yep. good call. Blythe is like a little bit north and between San Diego and Phoenix, Arizona on oh, the map, okay. right? So it's like... Kind of deserty And hotter. Out yeah, in the yeah. desert. Yeah. yeah. That sounds just awful. <laughs> if yeah. it gets up yeah. to like 85, I'm pretty uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> um, so on July 3rd, 1943, at 7 p.m., a B-24 called Hat in the Ring that was built by Ford left... Sorry, Ford. <laughs> Don't sue me. Um, left Salinas with a crew of, t- of 10 young men. They were all in their 20s. The 25-year-old pilot was Thorol Skip Johnson. Um, and so they were conducting a thousand mile, 10 hour night navigation exercise. And so they were supposed to fly about 400 miles down the coast of California and then fly inland to the Bakersfield Army Airfield, which is now the Bakersfield Municipal Airport. And so the next part is like, like your Honda Point disaster. I was like, <laughs> again, with navigation. <laughs> oh, right. Like, is this how we really did this? <laughs> I know. So these types of flights... The flights, particularly at night, like they didn't have visual or geographical checkpoints for the navigator. So he had to use a sextant. Oh, so oh, what I, does that mean? Six? Six? Sex? I, I don't no, know. No, it is six. Um, uh, it's like a... Oh, I looked it up and then I deleted it because I was like, I don't need to get into it. I can picture it in but my head. But it's an astronomical instrument invented in the 1700s. Oh, like yeah, it, it would see on ships. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it kind of looks like a, like a, it's like a tripod and... Oh, yeah. I didn't Google it to see what it looked like. Oh. <laughs> but I feel it's like, like I know what it of a, looks like. like a semicircle. I'm picturing it like a. Uh, uh, anyway, if only I held all <laughs> like the world's information in the palm of my like hand. Like almost like a compass. Yes, yes, it's for, very yeah, compass drawing right. circles, but like not. But good. to measure the distance between celestial bodies. Oh, jeez. Viewed through a transparent dome in the plane. Look, I'm going to show you a picture, okay. and you're going to be show like, me. "Oh yeah." <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So check our Instagram. We'll share a photo. At Ghoul's Guide to SB. (laughs) So they had to use that to measure the distances of celestial bodies. Yeah. Viewed through a transparent dome in the plane. Like What? Yeah. So to figure out their position and the direction of the aircraft. And I also have in my notes, what? In all caps. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) The number of times that I write, what? Like in my notes next to (laughs) something I want to tell you guys. So, um, and then the navigator, navigator also had to take like wind into account. Um, so (laughs) gosh. Okay. So during this exercise, like they were using too much fuel and Johnson, the pilot decided to turn inland near Lompoc and Vandenberg space force base Space, (laughs) at point Arguello, Mm -hmm. also known as point Pedernales, also known as the devil's jaw. Uh huh. Is it Honda Point? Yes. Okay. Honda Point. So so they're flying low on gas about 200 miles away from Point Arguello, and one of their engine dies, and they were unable to get it going again. I wonder if at at any point someone in the military was just like, hey, guys, let's just stay away from this general area. (laughs) Wait, didn't we have a whole discussion about how it was as infamous as the... 
Bermuda <laughs> Triangle. Yeah. I'm starting to actually be more on team. It's as infamous as the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, but right. But like we said, just with people who know about it. Exactly. <laughs> so after about 100 more miles, a second engine started acting up, like right as the navigator caught sight of land. And so... So if we recall from our foreshadowing, they had four engines, but in a B-24, if they lost two, they're firmly in an emergency situation. Okay. So Johnson tells the crew to prepare for bailout or parachuting out of the plane. Um, Just before they reached shore, a third engine died. Oh, no. And the plane went into a dive. And two of the crew, Prosser and Dan Hart, bailed out. So they jumped while the plane was still over water. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm picturing them as Ben Affleck and what's his name from (laughs) Pearl? What was... Was it Pearl Harbor, the movie? I never saw that. I uh. think so. But I don't know who. I saw Weirdly, I think I saw that movie on a plane. Which oh, I gosh. Think, but I couldn't have because they don't show you like a plane, plane, plane crash, crash movie on a plane. Oh, uh, yeah. Or also uh, the other one, I, I'm picturing crew as Harry Connick Jr. from Memphis Bell. Oh, I know. It's oh, also a great Bell. movie. That, I couldn't remember the name of it, but I was thinking about that when I was yeah. reading about this plane because it had like the... Um, the turret, like in the belly of the plane, yeah. too, which just freaks me out. Mm-hmm. All my military knowledge is just from movies yeah. about <laughs> cute soldiers. And hey, it's getting you by. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the two, Prosser and Dan Hart, have bailed out. At mm-hmm. this point, it's about two in the morning. They only have a little bit of gas left. They can't make radio contact with anybody. They oh, circle Santa Barbara a couple times. Mm-hmm. And Johnson tells the rest of the crew to get their parachutes. One of the crew members later said, uh, well, his name is uh, Van Landingham was his last name. Uh, he later said that nobody wanted to jump because they had never jumped before. And I was like, does that mean like not even in training? And yeah, I bet. And like, I think that's what he meant. Like they had not even done training jumps. So a quote from him said, I asked them if I jumped, would they follow me? They said, yes, I jumped into the night. So the eight of them jump out of the B-24 near Santa Barbara. So Van Landingham was knocked unconscious when he landed. But once he came to, he made it down an embankment and ended up on San Marcos Pass or oh, State wow. Route 154. Mm-hmm. Um, a few cars passed him but didn't stop. You know, it's like 2.30 in the morning or something. And then eventually sheriff's deputies responding to a report of the plane crash came upon him. But they were like, is this an enemy pilot? So like they mm. jump out of the car oh with their gosh. guns drawn right. until they you know clearly talk to him and they're like oh he's an american it's okay <laughs> um a couple others uh Wadeski and white they walked until they came to a private home where a doctor lived and he cooked them breakfast and they hung out until they could get a ride <laughs> into santa barbara oh my gosh that's wonderful <laughs> They all ended up at the Hoff General Army Hospital, which is now the location of the city's municipal golf course. Oh, funny. Uh, funny. (laughs) And so uh, they were treated for scratches and bruises. And there is like maybe one of them had a broken leg, but like all eight of them were okay. Okay. So that's um, amazing. But but we have the two that are bailed out over the water. Mm -hmm. Um, So after they bailed out, reports said that the plane had circled twice before crashing into the, and I don't know how to say this, Camuesa. C-A-M-U-E-S-A area in the Los Padres National Forest. Okay. Um, (laughs) Fun tidbit for you, maybe, if you're into this sort of thing. (laughs) The Los Padres National Forest was established in 1936. I love that. So it was a national forest at the time, because I started to be like, what's now? You know, (laughs) but it already was. Yeah. I Um, appreciated that timeline. (laughs) Thank you. So this is in Santa Barbara's, like, bat country. Yeah. Two Forest Service staff were sleeping in a lookout tower on Camuesa. (laughs) I'm going to struggle with that. 
Camuesa Peak, uh-huh. and they were either woken up by the crash or by the plane circling, and they called in the wreck and the fire. It had started at about 2.15 oh. <laughs> in the morning. Oh, no. Yeah. So then it took about an hour for the fire crew to get there, uh, just winding roads and then a half a mile hike to the wreck site. But luckily, uh, it was not very windy and there's decent humidity. It only burned about an acre and they were able to contain the fire by 7 a.m. Okay. So also, (laughs) (laughs) because this was a training mission, there were kind of conflicting reports. So like one report said that the plane was flying with 20 non-explosive practice bombs. But (laughs) but Van Landingham said there were 3,000 rounds of live ammunition because the crew was prepared to attack targets of opportunity if they encountered any. Oh, my gosh. Did that mean subs? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, Summers, in an earlier episode, (laughs) (laughs) told us about the bombardment at Elwood uh, in, that was February 1942, right? Uh Uh-huh. But two months before that, in December 1941, a Japanese submarine had torpedoed five ships off the California coast, including the SS Montebello, a tanker carrying more than 3 million gallons of crude oil and 100,000 gallons of fuel oil, which was sunk about six miles off the coast of Cambria near Hearst Castle. Mm. So... We were like on the lookout (laughs) for these subs being close to the coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another little side note, because, of course, um, just before the Montebello was supposed to leave the port, the captain had heard reports that a Japanese sub was in the area. So Mm -hmm. he refused to leave the port and he was forced he was forced to resign his position as captain and leave the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Then the first mate took command and left the port. But then several hours several hours later torpedoed and sunk i hope that guy that got oh fired gosh. was like uh-huh <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> and so the 38 crew members on the montebello they managed to get into lifeboats and they survived but okay but they were also like fired on by deck guns on the submarine yeah oh my gosh. and they but they they survived but like okay. yeah before the sub submerged and took off wow. so so like the elwood bombardment even though this incident was reported it wasn't widely publicized because they didn't want to cause panic mm-hmm. along the coast of california so back to santa barbara in the morning i think the next morning so july 4th mm-hmm. three more b24s that were also from the 34th bombardment left from bakersfield at 7:17 a.m and flew out to search for prosser and danhart the two who had bailed out over the water so their planned route was to fly from Bakersfield to Santa Barbara to Point Conception, back to Santa Barbara, to what's now Edwards Air Force Base, then Salinas, then Point Sur, and eventually back to Salinas at 4.19 p.m. Like, that was the plan for these three planes. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, in Santa Barbara during spring and summer, we have intense fog or marine mm. layer, mm-hmm. May gray, June gloom, <laughs> which sometimes also extends into July. And so, yeah. this is only July 4th. And reports are that it was really overcast that morning. So at about 8 a.m., Vernon Stevens, the pilot of one of those B-24s, flying with a crew of 11 other men, he radios the Santa Barbara Airport control tower to say he was beginning the planned search pattern, but he couldn't see anything because of the fog. Mm-hmm. So wait. Yeah. Uh, just to confirm, this is, so we're now 4th of July, and how long ago did the plane crash? The previous, like that night at 2 in the morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so Stevens... Uh, tells the Santa Barbara airport he, that he's going to fly below the marine layer to get a better view of the water, even though that was, quote, in violation of definite instructions concerning weather flying. So 
uh, search aircraft were not supposed to fly in areas of little to no visibility mm -hmm. at the risk of the mission suddenly ending in a cumulo granite cloud. Oh <laughs> a mountain, like land oh, or oh. rock, you know. <laughs> a cloud made of mountains. Yes, basically. Okay. So, so, but at any rate, flying south of Santa Cruz Island, Stevens's B-24 descends into the fog and it vanished. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. So there was no further contact with the airport, and it was declared missing later that afternoon. Okay. So now we have yet another search beginning <laughs> for this second B-24. Um, on July 6th, the search included a Coast Guard cutter, eight Navy ships, 11 more B-24s, <laughs> <laughs> a PBY float plane, and PB stood for patrol bomber, and Y referred to the manufacturer, which was also Consolidated Aircraft, the same folks that built the B-24s, Okay, and a blimp. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, blimps. Yeah. I love that was just for advertising. <laughs> <laughs> but with the weather and the low visibility, they couldn't find the plane, and they didn't find Prosser and Danhart, okay. and the search was called off on July 9th. Oh. I know. There were reports that the two men had been, or that, not those two men, but that two men had been seen on a raft near Cape Sal or Point Sal, and the Navy investigated, but it wasn't the two missing crewmen. Um, and according to one of the survivors, a couple days after the wreck, their parachutes were found near Galita on the shoreline, like maybe at Elwood in that area. So there was speculation that maybe they landed safely in the water and then released the parachutes, but then could have drowned due to the weight of their flight clothing. Mm -hmm. um, also, the water temperature was about 60 degrees, which could have led to hypothermia and death. Mm -hmm. Or because it was dark, they might have thought they were closer to the water than they actually were and released their parachutes so that they wouldn't get tangled up in them when they hit the water mm. and then fell from too far of a height and the impact with the water killed them. Oh, jeez. I know. So, But we just don't know because they were never found. Can we just pretend that they like safely landed in the water, <laughs> released their parachute, swam to shore, ran off, got married, <laughs> lived mm -hmm. a long, happy life together in yeah. Santa Barbara somewhere? Oh, mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. Oh, so wow. our story is not over. <laughs> oh, there's more disasters. There's more Did disasters. all all other eleven bombers <laughs> also crash? And then they <laughs> sent out thirty three. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Let's just send some more. <laughs> um, oh wow! Yeah. I am I am actually impressed at the response. Yeah, for the two missing uh, crew members. Right. I mean that's a that's a hefty response. Yeah. So. Um, so the remaining eight crewmen from Hat in the Ring, the initial B-24 that crashed in the forest, mm -hmm. th they returned to Salinas where there was an inquiry about the crash. Okay. And it was determined that the cause of the accident was 100% pilot error. Okay. Uh, the report said that the pilot should have altered the flight plan to land before running out of fuel. Um, but they said he did show good judgment in abandoning the plane since they were flying over mountains at nighttime. Okay. Um, another report said an underlying cause was that the pilot was not properly trained in yeah. cruise power settings for aircraft. So he just didn't know how to fly it in a way that utilized less fuel. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And then also <laughs> the board had, quote, no recommendation for action to prevent repetition of this type of event. So, so same with <laughs> call Honda Point. Honda Point. <laughs> They're like, like, yeah, that happened. Yep. We're not going to make any changes. No. But. Oh, my gosh. So then there was, like, speculation. I mean, at the very least, yeah. like, I don't know, maybe practice using your parachutes once or twice. Right? <laughs> or, like, if training was an issue and he couldn't, he didn't know how to fly, like, in a way that conserved fuel. Maybe someone should have taught him. Improve training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So there was speculation around why they were running out of fuel, whether it was related to incorrect power settings or because transferring fuel between tanks was challenging and could lead to leaks and backfires. Um, A July 5th Santa Barbara News Press article uh, reported that the motors had overheated, potentially due to oil starvation. Mm. But officials at Salinas Air Force Base wondered if it was sabotage because the same night that the hat in the ring crashed, three other planes went down, including one in Monterey Bay. And Van Landingham suggested to the author of this book about this, about this story, mm-hmm. he said, we always thought that our airplane had something dumped into our tanks. Mm. Yeah. Banana so, in the tailpipe. <laughs> yeah. Right. A potato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so later that month, the surviving hat in the ring crew... Uh, traveled to Texas. They were assigned another B-24 that they named Bob and Pete to honor Prosser and Dan Hart. Aww. I know, isn't that nice? Um, the book goes into detail about their next mission, but they they traveled just like all across the world, ended up in China where they had to fly over the Himalayas. And it was so <laughs> dangerous flying over the Himalayas that by the end of the war, over 450 planes had been lost and almost 800 <laughs> crewmen had died in this area. And it was nicknamed the Aluminum Trail. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, why didn't they stop before that many died? I, I didn't mean know. to laugh at, like, the, the horror. Dying, yeah. But, like, laughing is my coping mechanism. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would be like, I don't know. We've lost three. Let's maybe not go that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, can't know. we find a better, a better route? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't a better route. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um Wow. So they they flew the Bob and Pete for um oh, a, and Pete. I know a number of missions until it was eventually cannibalized for parts and mm-hmm. the crew was assigned a new B24 uh conflicting reports of it being named For Sale <laughs> or, or <laughs> Death Trap <laughs> or Flamingo 2 <laughs> For sale is funny. I'm into that. I also am like, because at the time, you know, like they would always have those cool paintings with the name. So I'm like picturing what their little painting would be. I know. It's a real estate sign. (laughs) Yeah. I have a picture of the Bob and Pete and it's just, just says Bob and Pete. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Um, uh, So our crew with their new two members on February 5th, 1944, they were on a 10 hour flight to Bangkok with four other planes on a bombing run when their plane was hit by flak, which I did not Google up what it means, but I just think of that. Yeah, I just think of the movie Memphis Belle. Like, so their plane was hit by flak and they got lost due to poor weather conditions. They were low on gas. They couldn't get anyone on the radio and they had to bail out around 2 a.m. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yet again. Oh, so they all survived, but they landed in a snowy mountainous area in Japanese occupied China and um, again the book describes the ordeal like in really super interesting details um, but they made it they made it back to safety some of them had to walk and ride donkeys over the mountains for 23 days oh uh, so and once they got back to base they learned that four of the other planes that had left with them the same night two others had gone down and two were never heard from again oh good I'm loving this for them oh this, my god like those planes yes come on yeah oh. yeah I am okay. So this is a terrible thing to say, but I have a favorite war, mm-hmm. and it's World War One. Okay, favorite to learn about. Like, not like I'm not happy that wars happen, yeah. but um, and so that war, if you went up in a plane, you were probably going to survive for I think 20 minutes or something. Oh my gosh! But so I had been thinking that World War Two, like everything was like evolved and better, uh-huh. and like the planes were. I had no idea about these the B 24s being like basically. Uh- 
like on their way down from when you, yes. <laughs> when you take off. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That's where I wrote. Okay. Take a breather. <laughs> like, yeah. can we candle continuing? So, I don't know if this is a good reference, but um, I read Catch 22 not that long ago. And there's a scene in Catch 22. Where is that sound outside? Yeah. I'm going to wait. Airplane. Yeah. It's a B24 outside. <laughs> oh yeah. gosh. There's a scene in Catch 22 in the very beginning, I think, where. I don't know if it's a B24, but it makes me think that maybe it was mm-hmm. where um, someone gets torn up inside his flak vest oh. because like something comes through those stupid belly of the plane doors uh-huh. or something. So it makes a lot more sense to me now. And wow. It's a good book, though. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read that. That's good. So now we're going to go back to March 16th, 1944. This is about eight months after the Hat in the Ring crashed. Okay. Navy personnel stationed on San Miguel Island come across a plane wreckage which turns out to be the missing b24 that disappeared while searching for hat in the ring the initial search plane yes that wasn't supposed to fly solo yeah okay and that one uh didn't have a nickname and they think it's because it was like a it was a training plane so they didn't really get the names until they were assigned to a crew for (laughs) like active duty (laughs) this one might be doomed don't give it a name wow so um so, yeah, it had crashed into Green Mountain on San Miguel Island, and all 12 crew members were killed. Oh. I know. The wreckage was found at about 500-foot elevation on the northeast side of the mountain, which is the highest on the island at 831 feet. Wow. Okay. So, the next day, a Navy boat from Santa Barbara went over to recover the bodies and salvaged military items, um, but they just left the plane there. Hmm. Um, and... We have yet another disaster. No. Oh, no. So 10 years later, September 1954, a group of four hikers on San Miguel Island were returning to their boat and came across pieces of wreckage and bones. Oh. So once they got back to the mainland, they reported it. But the Air Force didn't have any record of a crash on San Miguel because policy at the time was to transfer those records into the retired files after five years. Okay. So, <laughs> but they were interested uh, because they thought it might be one of two other B-24s that were reported missing out of Fresno during the war. Mm. So they sent a team to check it out. It just keeps going, you guys. Mm. So on October 2nd, a 12-person identification team on a 125-foot Coast Guard cutter called the Morris left Los Angeles Harbor heading towards San Miguel Island. But early the next morning, about five miles off Point Magoo? Magoo? Magoo, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Point Magoo in Ventura County near Port Wyneme and Oxnard collided with a 60-foot catch called the Aloha, which was returning to Santa Barbara, its home port, from Newport Beach. (laughs) What is a catch, you ask? Yes. And how do you spell it? K-E-T-C-H. Okay. What's a catch, I ask? Google very helpfully told me it's a two-masted sailboat, similar to a yawl, but the main (laughs) mast is shorter than a sloop, and it's not to be confused with a schooner. I mean, mean, that... (laughs) Now I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And then, of course, because my brain is media damaged, my Amal Rats quote, a schooner is a sailboat, (laughs) stupid head. (laughs) Amazing. So anyway, so the the Aloha, uh, this this is just, okay. So the Morris had punched a four foot hole into the side of the Aloha and it sank in about one minute. Oh my God. Killing two of the five people aboard. Yes. 26 year old B. Caspers. And 61-year-old crew member Harold Kelly. Yeah. So B's husband, 27-year-old Ronald Caspers, was the skipper. The Aloha was his dad's boat. Mm-hmm. And he was reportedly an excellent sailor. Mm-hmm. 
And later he said a nighttime illusion, because it was like super early in the morning, Mm -hmm. made it look like the Coast Guard boat wasn't moving. So like a combination of them not getting out of the way and the Coast Guard boat just must not have seen them. Um, So that's what led to the crash. And then reports said the Aloha likely sank so fast because its keel was made of lead and weighed 10 tons. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, and of course I had to Google what's a keel. <laughs> it's like the bottom structural part of the boat that keeps it upright. Yeah. Um, and like sometimes it has a blade down the center. Mm-hmm. So that's Is a keel. Is it common to make them out of lead? I, that's, I mean, it guess must be, so, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So the crew on the Morris rescued Ronald and the two others and took them back to L.A., then headed back out towards San Miguel Island. Mm-hmm. The Navy and the Coast Guard sent search planes out looking for B and Harold for like 11 or 12 hours, mm. but they were never found. Mm. Oh, and the next day, the Morris made it to San Miguel, examined the wreckage, confirmed it was that B-24 that disappeared while looking for Hat in the Ring. Okay. So, oh. I was so relieved at first that they didn't fly out there. Right. And then, like, <laughs> the boat was doomed too. Yeah. <laughs> or ship. Yeah. I never oh. know the difference between boat and ship. I don't either. So, um... A little bit more just like after the war. Um, did you have a question? A di- little more disaster. No, I had oh, okay. a hitch on my oh, okay, head. Sorry. <laughs> um, Are we supposed to raise our hands? <laughs> well, that was the one thing that we talked about as like a, and I did it last time and I felt like it worked well. So oh, okay. you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I just, I thought you were out of my peripheral. Yeah, trying to so. balance my lap cat. Okay. And sound scratch my head at the same time. Yeah. Sound absorbing lap kitty. Oh, so um, as I mentioned at the beginning, B-24s were only produced until 1945. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and af- uh, after World War II, they were quickly removed from U.S. Army Air Force Service and replaced by the Boeing B-29 Super Fortress. <laughs> um, the two other B-24s that disappeared out of Fresno were uh, eventually found. One was found in 1955 in Huntington Lake, about 60 miles from Fresno, like at the bottom of the lake. Okay. The other was found in 1960 in a lake about 20 miles from Bishop, California. Okay. And in the United States, only two B-24s are still flying. The com- <laughs> Or like still airworthy. I don't know how often they're flying. Okay. <laughs> Maybe at like air shows and stuff. But the, uh, which also is just, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. The Commemorative Air Force has a plane called Diamond Lil in Midland, Texas, and the Collings Foundation in Stowe, Massachusetts has one called Witchcraft. Oh, that's our plane. I know. Um, So there are uh, like six others on display in the U.S. and others on display around the world in museums and stuff. Um, The wreck site in the National Forest is now protected under the National Forest's Heritage Resources Program. Okay. Um, it sounds like you can get there, but like, it's really difficult to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wreckage on San Miguel was exploded into smaller pieces so that it wouldn't be mistaken for a new wreck again. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you can get to it, but you'd have to have guided access through like sensitive habit habitat. So I don't, it's probably not easy to get to it. Um, I still want to go. I know. Right. <laughs> so that's the end of the story. Um, oh my gosh! Wow, that's so many disasters. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I was gonna say those are those were stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just I like can't recommend that book enough. It's super interesting oh, if yeah? you have any interest in World War II history or aviation, or even if you don't. Like it's a pretty <laughs> quick read about like awesome. just a super interesting series of events. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you more about his process, or should we just cut it? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know how long the it author's process. Yeah. Just like how he... It's not that long. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So uh, so the author heard about the Hat in the Ring crash in 1991 from a friend. Uh-huh. 
He wrote to the Los Padres National Forest on behalf of the Galita and Santa Barbara. Could you remind us of his name? Sorry, oh. before you oh. start. Yeah, sorry. Oh, it's up at the top of my email and I can't. <laughs> if I scroll back up, I'll be lost. Robert Goulet. Oh, Robert A. Burtness. 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 Robert, Robert A. Burtness. Yeah, is the author. So he wrote to the National Forest on behalf of the Galita and Santa Barbara Air Heritage Museum which no longer exists. I was just going to say, is that <laughs> yeah. a thing? No, it's not anymore, apparently. But oh. so he requested permission um, on behalf of the museum to acquire and preserve relics from the wreckage. And the National Forest said yes, if the museum could lend their aviation expertise and help document and inventory it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he wrote to the Air Force to request permission. And their response was that aircraft that had crashed before November 19th, 1961, as long as like fire had destroyed any pertinent records and the planes remained wholly or partially uncovered. Those were considered formally abandoned. And they said the air force neither maintains title to nor has property interest in these aircraft. Okay. (laughs) So then he writes to the international group for historic aircraft recovery or Tigar. (laughs) And their response was for several years, the air force has claimed to have abandoned its aircraft lost before 1961. Technically a federal agency cannot abandon property, but from a practical standpoint, If it's an old U.S. Army Air Force airplane, you won't get any grief from the Air Force. If by chance it's a U.S. Navy PB-4Y, then you have a very different situation and a high probability that the Navy will confiscate anything you recover. So he eventually did travel to the site. There are photos in the book of like the stuff that he that he, you know, documented. Um, Wow. Yeah. And then like in 1996, he got in touch with Van Landingham, Mm -hmm. uh, who lived in Washington. And then he got him in touch with the only other crew member still alive from Hat in the Ring, uh, Wadeski, who lived mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, and they corresponded through mail and phone, and they recorded their experiences on tape for the commemorative Air Force oral history program, as well as the book. So, wow. yeah, that's cool. I know. So he really like just him randomly finding out about this plane crash, you mm-hmm. know, led to a lot of history being preserved. And anyway, yeah. this book is just great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was such a good story. Oh, phew. <laughs> Do Gosh. we have a question for the Magic Eight Ball? Oh. I don't know. I'm the worst at this. I can never think of a question. <laughs> um, well, one of the two remaining B-24s crash oh, gosh. at some point. <laughs> oh, no. Or should we ask if the two lived happily ever after? Oh. <laughs> well, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Ask. Uh, who's, who, do you want to do it? No. Nope. You, 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 you can ask yours. Yours was a better question. <laughs> Tell me it again. I don't. I don't remember. Oh, is one of are the there are two B twenty fours that remain in existence? Oh no, is one gonna crash? Yeah. Oh, dark. Okay. Or both? <laughs> Will there be a crash involved? It is decidedly so. That one keeps coming up. <laughs> I think this magic gate ball is weighted. Its keel is weighted. <laughs> yes, incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, that was so good. Yeah, it's super interesting. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Join us next time (laughs) when I'm going to tell you about Franceschi Park and I'm going to cry. Oh, no. (laughs) Bring tissues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Hi, Mom. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Like and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ghoul's Guide to SB. Our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Got a spooky story or know of a haunted or paranormal location in Santa Barbara? Send it to us at ghoulsguidetosb at gmail.com. <laughs>